0: Bonjour. Welcome
1: to the DExhibit Data Diaries.
0: This is your captain speaking. You're listening to the
1: Data Diaries. Data Diaries. So has got the best voice? Nice. No. Yes. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Data Diaries. I'm here today with Daniel Jordan, who is a design extraordinaire and our senior product designer here at DExhibit. We are Extra lucky to have Daniel on our team, because like if you're on our team, his background draws not just from the world of technology and software, but also from the world of museums and galleries. And back in London, Daniel spent time at Whitechapel, which is a gorgeous contemporary art gallery. So he really helps us as a team hone in on how we use data in the cultural and visitor attraction space. So welcome, Daniel.
0: Thank you for that. That's very flattering.
1: (laughs) You're here today to talk to us about design thinking. Why is now, we're beginning 2021, we're sort of still mid-pandemic in many places, but why is now a good time for us and for the visitor attraction sector to be thinking about rapid change?
0: Yeah, so I imagine many institutions uh, for decades, if not hundreds of years have made small incremental changes to perfect their visitor experiences, Uh, but faced with unprecedented changes due to COVID-19, those small incremental changes are not sufficient to help us through uh, the rapid changes that we're seeing in market demand or human behavior. Uh, And it doesn't really help us innovate quickly enough to adapt to these changes and, and weather the storms that are approaching. So, like it or not, I think visitor attractions are facing the need for rapid change, uh, whether that's because of squeezed budgets or fewer resources um, or the need to change operating procedures. And so, being a software designer, I think some of the design practices that we see in in the tech industry can be also used for visitor attractions uh, to meet the demands of the rapidly changing landscape that we're seeing.
1: It's, uh, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head for probably the biggest problem facing this industry right now. If we think about cultural institutions, in particular, a lot of them have been around for over a hundred years. And so they've operated in a not dissimilar manner for a lot of that time. and, and when they have changed, like when we think about the introduction of the, the blockbuster concept or you know the introduction of sort of commercial visitor services like retail, and those changes have taken years and if not decades to make and, and to take hold in, in the industry. And we're now talking about a period of time where we want to get change down to a matter of, of weeks or even days uh, to really sort of hack that growth path pathway back to the land of recovery. And I'm curious about what does design have to do with this idea of rapid change?
0: Yeah, so I think the first, thing that we should probably talk about is is explain what i mean when i talk about design and and that'll help us map it back to why it's relevant so so when i talk about design i don't necessarily mean uh what something looks like so the the graphic design or visual design of a thing but maybe design in its more broader sense uh there's a good quote by charles eames who's the the kind of famous designer of of the eames chair uh and and Sort of architect. So he described design as a plan for arranging elements in such a way as best to accomplish a particular purpose. So arranging elements could be anything from simply arranging words on a page or the placement of signs or even broader than that, the way that you work or collaborate with colleagues. So in its broadest sense, we're all designers to a certain extent and we have the ability to optimize and configure the world around us to suit a particular purpose or goal
1: and i imagine in the visitor attractions world in the museum world that could be design that happens in lots of different parts of that visitor experience it might be on the website it might be in the app it might be um the visitor journey itself it it could be what the brochure looks like or or the wayfinding uh, design there's there's so many different opportunities for design when we think about it
0: yeah that's right and design gives us a framework to not only make the changes that are necessary but then also sense the reaction to those and then iterate on on the the reactions that we see and make make changes to to achieve the the purpose that you're setting out to do
1: so how do we use design in our working lives, whether we're in marketing or we're in experience um, management or visitor services or operations, all of those sorts of things? How do we come at it about this, this challenge of design and, and bring more of that thinking into our everyday?
0: Yeah, so a common place to start is to use a framework known as design thinking. So design thinking is a very loose method for approximating what a designer might do instinctively anyway. Uh, and it has five simple steps um, that in a very accessible way, uh, non-designers can follow these steps in order to approximate some of what a designer might do. Um, and it can be used regardless of the uh, the size of the problem that you're applying it to. So uh, you, you might be using it to apply to maybe your digital experiences maybe you want to improve the number of people that are accessing that or the the usage of that on the on the website for instance Uh, or maybe you're looking at improving the wait times of your entrance uh, or even managing the capacities in your galleries or uh, exhibitions
1: so I love that last problem you mentioned of managing capacities because that's something everybody's dealing with right now. And it affects so many different aspects at once of the venue. We've got the fact that we have to switch to advanced ticket bookings. We have to presumably do a lot of that online. We've got maybe queues forming outside. We've got a very different way of interacting firstly with our visitors. We've got different communications. Our teams need to work in different ways. That's, quite a big problem to solve when it comes to design thinking where do we start
0: yeah so i I mentioned that there were five steps to this process and, and we can sort of go through each of those steps as we we look at this specific problem the first step of design thinking would be to empathize with your customers uh, so that means talking to the customers and understanding their perspective and this could come in many forms as well so it could involve reviewing the surveys and field research that that your institution might have um, it could be looking at user journey maps that you've created or maybe creating new user journey maps based on the changing scenarios uh, and you could also look at analytics data that you might have about your customers that that maybe you've uh, collected in a platform like Exhibit, but I think the important thing to say is it needn't be as big a deal as maybe it seems. It could be just as simple as going down to the entrance and meeting a few customers and engaging in conversations with them. One thing that I've learned, being a designer, is that we'll often build up barriers to talking to our customers. Maybe we think that they might be too busy or too preoccupied with what they're doing to talk, or we worry that they might not be honest with us, or or they will. Uh, be too honest and and give us lots of complaints that we can't handle, but in my experience, if you approach customers in the right way, they're often more than happy to help um, and they will give you a wealth of information about the problem that you're trying to solve. Talking to customers is really important for me as a software designer as well, because it's really easy for us to forget about the people that are using our software. So I think visitor attractions have the great fortune that their customers come and visit them daily. And so this huge wealth of information is maybe just waiting for them beyond the door. And so getting out there and speaking to customers is going to give you a huge insight into the problems that they're facing. And it's probably going to give you some ideas of how you might go about solving the problems that they have.
1: Mm, I, I, I personally love uh, talking to customers every day about our product with a product hat on because I think, it, like you say, it's, it is one of the easiest but also one of the most insightful um, things that we can do to learn more about the people that we're serving. And um, I do wonder um, in really big institutions, when even when the sort of leadership and administration teams are even off-site in some circumstances, Um, how often those opportunities actually come by. And and yet, like you say, there's millions of people sometimes pouring through the doors um, and uh, we often think that they might not be quite as um, open to talking to us as they probably are.
0: Yeah, you're very often surprised by the responses you get. So that's one of the exciting parts about the job Mm -hmm. is that you're constantly surprised by these new problems. Often the ideas that you'll put out there the answers that you get will be completely different to what you're expecting. And then handling those new ideas is is the exciting part about doing design.
1: How many people should we be talking to? You know, if we're coming up with a new idea or thinking through a new concept, do you talk to one or a what's, hundred? What's the right um, Goldilocks number there?
0: Yeah, so that's, that's the other important thing. So it, it might seem intimidating if you think you have to go and survey a hundred people. But that's kind of what surveys do. And and I sort of see those as separate from maybe just a kind of design conversation that you might have. And so really what you're trying to do is get to the point where you're not learning anything new from the conversations that you're having. And so that could be as small as five people, depending on the problem that you're trying to deal with. Mm. Um, But yeah, once you get to that point where you're not learning anything new, that's probably about the right amount of people to talk to
1: and when you hear the same things over and over, I guess it gives you that pattern matching that you're, you're hoping for too. Yes.
0: Yeah, so, and that's another surprising thing is that if you talk to a, a set of uh, customers, often they'll, they'll start to repeat themselves and you can kind of see these, these kind of constellations of ideas matching up in your mind as you, as you speak to these different customers.
1: So we've gone out, we've talked to customers or, or done whichever mechanism we feel is going to give us a good understanding of that audience. What, what do we do next after we know them?
0: Yeah, so I think after talking to customers, empathizing with them, you'll probably have a reasonably good idea of the problem that you're trying to solve. And so in this next stage where you're defining the problem, you're trying to find a really precise articulation of the problem that you're trying to solve. Um, it could be that after speaking with people you've you've come up with more than one problem mm. um, or you might end up thinking that you've got a completely different problem to the one that you set out to solve. Um, so it's really important to have this precise problem statement because when you go into the next step, which is finding ideas to solve it, you want to have a really focused discussion um, and having this articulation of the problem statement in a really precise way is going to help you narrow in on a a great solution
1: it's actually really hard to write a problem statement isn't it then take this example of capacity do you write it in terms of what we need as a visitor attraction or do you write it in terms of what the visitor is dealing with in terms of needing to sort of book in how how would you frame that
0: yeah i don't think it particularly matters how you frame it i think um Ideally, you probably want to write some sort of story from the user's perspective. But I don't know if you want to get too deep into the semantics of these things. I think ultimately having a problem statement that everyone can engage with and understand uh, is better than having having a kind of large convoluted hmm. um, sort of explanation of it. It just needs to be a clear and crisp statement. That's,
1: Not that's... too much navel gazing, huh?
0: Yes, that's right.
1: (laughs) So, explain this concept of ideation. That's such good advice to start with first the visitor and then the problem. I think when it comes to something like capacity, having just watched dozens of attractions go through this, a lot of them leapt immediately to the system. Um, So, it started with the ticketing system about how we're going to offer bookings and how we're going to start putting those into time slots. Um, and I think that that naturally takes you down a certain pathway, which starts to lock you into assumptions and to ways of doing things that totally miss taking the visitor into account or miss taking the opportunity to, to design around that problem into account. So I can really appreciate um, the value of, of taking a moment and having the discipline um, and the foresight to do that. Okay, well, take me into ideation. Um, what does what does that mean? Explain it to me.
0: Yeah, so ideation is is probably a reasonably pretentious term for what effectively it is. It's just creating ideas that will solve the problem. Um, And often when you're working with teams, there's no shortage of ideas for, for how to solve that problem. And the beauty of this process of ideation is that often when you're working with a team, something magic happens and the team will come up with an idea that no single person individually could have come up with on their own. And typically, it's a good idea for one person maybe to facilitate this discussion. So this person is leading the way through making sure that you're focused on this precise articulation of the problem that you made in the last step. And then you're also making sure that everyone is involved in the process. So if there are naturally quiet people, you're kind of bringing them into the process of suggesting ideas. And then if there are louder people, with lots of ideas, sort of navigating that as well so that everyone sort of has an equitable share of the floor. The other thing I would say that if it's your first time facilitating a design discussion, then if you start out small, you can understand how how that session should sort of go. But then as you get more confident, you can build in different stakeholders to the meeting so that you can get their buy-in as well. So having stakeholders and executives present in an ideation session is a great way to get their buy-in as they feel some ownership over the problem that you're trying to solve and the solutions that you ultimately come up with. So at the end of the session, ideally what you're trying to do is converge on an idea or a few ideas that you want to take to the next stage, which is prototyping and testing.
1: What are some of the... um tools that you can use, there's a few tactics, isn't there? If you have lots of ideas and you're trying to work out which ones you take forward.
0: So often there's just so many ideas in a session that you don't necessarily need any tools to prompt ideas out of people. But then if you're dealing with a particularly tricky problem or you don't necessarily have any ideas um, already, there are a number of tools that you might be able to find online to prompt discussion and to help people be a bit more creative about solutions to problems. So one uh, idea that we've run with the team here is to think of the worst possible solution that <laughs> you can possibly find to, to solve the problem. I always that love you have.
1: those ones.
0: It's a really interesting way to think about it because by thinking of the worst solution, you you sort of find the inverse of the solution, and then you can work your way through to finding the solution ultimately, and it it really helps people loosen up and be a bit more creative about it. And and as a facilitator, you can sort of prompt people to go as far as they possibly can. And hopefully at the end of it, you come out with a great solution that you want to test.
1: What about if you've got too many ideas?
0: It's okay to have multiple ideas. Ultimately, though, you want to pick one or two that you want to prototype and test. And it's good to have a reserve of ideas because ultimately, When you move into the testing stage not everything is going to succeed and in fact what we really want to do is have ideas that do fail because that helps us in the learning process
1: so once you've arrived at that sort of special one or two ideas that you're going to take forward in the first instance how do you flesh them out a bit from there
0: as you move these ideas into the prototyping stage what you're trying to do is not build a final product or experience, but what you're trying to do is figure out if the ideas in the session hold true. So you want to do as little work as possible to prove out the hypotheses that you created in that ideation session. So it kind of goes without saying that if you commit six months to implementing a solution, our natural instinct is to gloss over the failures. But as designers, we want to look for failure. It's what helps build better experiences. So you're taking these ideas and you're building a very lean prototype of what you want to build and then testing it out with ideally real users, but it could be also maybe friends or family or other staff members within your institution so that you can get rapid feedback on the ideas that you've presented to them. This this process kind of takes a bit of humility as well. So sometimes it can be quite difficult to see your favorite ideas proved wrong. Um, so the less sort of emotional investment you have in a prototype, the better, as you're more likely to look at this um, test with a critical mind. And sometimes in creating the prototypes, our ideas change and we might have to go back to the drawing board. And this is completely fine. This is one of the benefits of prototyping the, the experience of creating a prototype helps you understand the problem better. Um, and it definitely doesn't mean that, that you've done the process wrong. The design thinking framework isn't a linear process. It's it's something that you, you can do in, in any order, which means you might have lots of unexpected loops.
1: I think you said to me once that your job as a designer is not to get to the right answer first. It's to get to the right answer in the end and that iteration and options and and going through that process helps you get there.
0: Yeah, that's right. So so it's it's a it's definitely something that you have to learn and it gets easier over time, but putting ideas out there and getting rapid feedback is far better than having this perfect product that comes out in the end.
1: Mm. You just have
0: a, have to have a bit of faith that even though you're putting out some something that you're not necessarily completely proud of ultimately it's going to be a better for it
1: it's funny if we come back to that capacity example i think i've seen perhaps the result of and and to be fair the result of not having much opportunity i imagine to do a lot of prototyping and testing given we were all at home when when uh the world was locked down and then had to reopen suddenly after that um but there is sort of all of the things that we've seen as a result, like lots of people book at a particular time of day. And then, of course, they don't book at other times of the day. And so you end up with this flood or famine. And there is sort of the, the natural visitor behavior that when you offer people 15-minute interval tickets, they always book the one at the start of the hour um, or the half hour. They don't book sort of 12.15. They book 12 or 12.30 because we don't tend to plan our lives in 15-minute intervals. So there's all these sorts of things that you'd learn from prototyping. Granted, given a world that would support that um, in the future when we don't end up in a pandemic again.
0: Yeah, that's right. So I think one of the things about that is design thinking teaches us not to be too disheartened if the thing that you're trying to implement doesn't work out. Uh, And it gives us the tools to sense when something has gone wrong and you start back at the beginning again with your empathy. And so if something went wrong, let's start talking to the, uh, to the customers. We can even talk to the staff members and we try and figure out what went wrong. And then we, we get some ideas as to how to improve it. So it's a great tool set for instead of getting dejected at, at failure, how do we take that failure into something positive and improve our processes along the way?
1: whether it's technology or whether we're talking about the physical world how how can visitor attractions go out there and start implementing design thinking
0: yeah so i think firstly there's plenty of resources online that people can use to learn uh, more about design thinking prior to this I was reading a lot of blogs about specifically how museums have implemented design thinking and there's also academic papers about the implementation of design thinking within museums which was fascinating for me and then i think for for museums that want to start making changes i think the best thing is to start small so that you can build your confidence in the process um, starting with smaller problems and then building up to larger ones the other thing to mention is that design thinking is a tool that you can use to apply to your own processes. So if you've been through a design thinking process, you can then use design thinking on that process to reflect on how well it did by engaging with the people that were part of the process, understanding how they felt about it. And each design thinking process is essentially a prototype that you can can reflect on and see how well it did I think the other thing to say is design thinking is a mindset. So once you get into the habit of thinking like a designer, there's all sorts of applications you can apply this to, whether it's in your personal life or in your working life.
1: It's funny. I think I've I've noticed you do that whenever we finish a, a pro- product or a project that we're working on. Um, I, I can hear you challenge the team and say, how could we do this differently next time or do it better next time or – how about how we tackled this part? Could we bring more real data earlier into the validation? and it does it does lead and challenge others to to do better next time and I, I love that.
0: Yeah, it's really enjoyable to to refine things over time and encourage people to to think about their their own processes in a way that makes them not afraid to fail but happy to improve.
1: So what are you working on at the moment? I know we've got some very exciting stuff cooking in the oven at Dexabit.
0: Yeah, so we've been working really hard uh, with the team improving the user interface. So how Dexibit looks and feels, um, which we're hoping will provide a more intuitive and modern app that that's gonna help our users get straight into the data insights. But I think more exciting than that, we've been working over the last few months on prototyping of our own. So we've been building some really exciting visualizations, helping to tell some new and interesting stories about demographic data and distance data. So we've been doing design thinking of our own building Prototypes, taking those prototypes to our users and getting feedback from them, and then doing that whole process again. And I think what that means is we'll see on the horizon some really interesting insights into data.
1: And I know for capacity in particular, um, there's more really some very cool stuff out, and and it is a testament to that design thinking and that that empathy with people who are having to manage and optimize capacity and. And that prototyping that you all went through of of getting to exactly the right uh, insights that we were after in exactly the right way. And it, and it was just an iterative process, wasn't it?
0: Yep, that's right. It's about trusting in the process and just listening to customers with an open mind and something magic happens along that process and you get to a really good result.
1: I can't wait to see um, this next generation of our dashboard as it's coming out. And it's just so cool, the stuff that I've seen so far. So what's inspiring you right now, Daniel? What are you reading, watching, listening to or, or who?
0: Yeah, so I've been reading a really interesting book by Donald D. Hoffman called The Case Against Reality. So it's a book questioning what consciousness really is, what is the nature of reality, which sounds pretty far out. But it's interesting to me from a professional level because I spend a lot of time thinking about uh, how users interact and see software and and why do they do the things that they do. So it's been really interesting insight into my work.
1: And what's your favorite visitor attraction when it comes to design?
0: So yeah, I had a really good think about this. So um, the, the one from a purely design perspective that came to mind, the Museum of London, which is in the Barbican Centre, which in itself is a, a masterpiece of design. So the so Museum of London is spread over two floors and it starts the journey with sort of pre-London artefacts like spear tips and fossils. And, and you sort of walk through uh, the, the second floor down to the first floor uh, and it takes you through from, from those fossils to the modern day, sort of via the Great Fire of London and Victoria London. And so the way that they've designed that in the kind of chronological order is just really fascinating. As you see this kind of city grow out of nothing, and it's sort of really really immersive experience. And the 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 cool thing is you can look out of the windows and you can see through those windows the actual city walls or the old crumbling city walls just outside. So it's really it's a really great experience, well designed.
1: Bring on the day when we can all travel again. I'll be there in a flash.
0: Yeah, that's right looking forward to them reopening.
1: And in the meantime, thank you so much, Daniel. That, that was um, a great revisit of, of design thinking. And I think it's like you say, it is, it is exactly the time to be thinking about design thinking as we're reopening and for the second time round, And um, as we're thinking about a, a post COVID visitor experience and all the rapid changes that we all need to make.
0: Yeah, it's been great. Thanks very much.